You're listening to the Conversation Corner Podcast, your audio masterclass experience that highlights inspiring stories, thought-provoking ideas, and helpful life-changing tips from people around the world. Welcome to M3E TV and the Conversation Corner Podcast. We're back again, and I'm your host, Christoph Coran. And boy, do I have a good show for you guys today. I've got the lovely ladies from CE3 Performance Academy. Um, We've got a group on this evening, and I can't wait to hear what they have for us today. So without further ado, I'd just like to ask the group to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, My name is Courtney Emanuel. So I played at University of Georgia. I grew up in Houston, Texas, got a scholarship. Played softball there for four years. We went to uh, two different World Series um, tournaments, which is the biggest softball uh, tournament that you can, or platform that you can play on. After college, I got my master's in sports management at University of Georgia. And currently I'm a high school coach. So I, I coach and then I also run the CE3 Performance Academy with Keani Ramsey, Kirsten Thomas, and Annie Aldretti. And uh, we put this thing together to um, basically give young girls what we never had when we were coming up through um, our softball careers and through high school and middle school years when you, you kind of are just a lost person trying to find your way in life. Yeah. Who's next up at the batter's plate? <laughs> Hello, uh, my name is Keanu Ramsey. I um, played my first two years of college at Texas Tech University, and then I transferred to the University of North Carolina. Um, I played outfield, I was a slapper, um, all that really good stuff. And in July of 2019, I graduated with my degree in uh, exercise and sports science. Um, Then I moved back home to Corpus Christi, and I started working as a PT technician. um, And right now I am currently pursuing my doctorate in occupational therapy at Texas Women's University in Houston. Um, But along with being a full-time student, I also coach, I teach fitness classes, and I help run camps for um, organization softball teams in the area. Okay, okay. Who's up next? I'll go. I'm Annie Aldretti. I'm originally from California. I played softball at University of Tennessee for two years, and then I ended up transferring to UC Berkeley. I was a catcher, righty power hitter. Um, I'm very fortunate. I grew up in a baseball family, so my whole childhood was baseball, baseball, baseball. So it's really important to me that we do this CE3 Performance Academy because, like Courtney said, I definitely didn't have any softball role models. I had baseball players. I had my dad and my cousins, but I never really had a true female role model to kind of guide me through life, guide me through college. So I'm super excited to be here. I also got the chance to play on the USA Women's National Team. So that taught me so many different things, especially on the international level of softball. And then I got to travel and play in Italy as well. So I kind of got this whole international softball situation going, as well as college softball in America. So it was a really good concept. Hi, I'm Kirsten Thomas. Uh, I grew up in Houston, Texas, and then I went off to college at the University of Washington in Seattle in 2014 and graduated in 2018 with my degree in communications and sociology. Um, After graduating college, I went to pursue my master's in psychology, which I'm finishing up. I should be graduating in the fall. Um, And then I am a health and fitness instructor out in Salt Lake City. Most of it is online. Um, and then as well as coaching with the CE3 Performance Academy. Um, and like Courtney said, just really being a role model for these young athletes and just giving them something that we never had is what's so special about this program and this opportunity and platform just to share all of our experiences and for our knowledge and love for the game and to them. That's awesome. Uh, you know, what I've noticed here and taking some notes, all of you are so highly educated as far as a formal education. Let's talk about a little bit. What is your, you know, passion or, or motivation to, I mean, some of you're getting 
somebody's getting a doctorate, Kiana, you're getting a doctorate in occupational therapy. I mean, that's not something that everybody just wakes up one day and, and says they want to do. That's a commitment um, that you have to, a process that you have to go through to get all of these degrees. You know, what kind of motivated each of you to go after these formal degrees? Um, I guess I'll start. Um, well, for me personally, uh, my inspiration for wanting to uh, pursue higher education outside of undergrad um, was because of my nephew. Uh, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and he um, is epileptic as well and has hydrocephaly. And he was born my senior year of high school. And I kind of knew that I wanted to do something with like physical therapy because that's what everybody knows about physical therapy. Um, but I always knew I wanted to help people in some, some shape or form. And uh, I know with PT, you can see more athletes and you can see a wider range of clients. And I was really interested with trying to stay around sports as much as possible. Um, but when he was born and my dad had recently mentioned occupational therapy and I just kind of did some research, didn't know too much about it, but wow. seeing him for the first time my senior year of high school um, and knowing that he, and he now sees a physical therapist, occupational therapist, speech uh, pathologist, um, all of those uh, clinicians, it really just, it really just solidified it for me. Whenever I saw him for the first time, I was like, it's what I need to do. It's my calling and I can help people like him, whether it's children, whether I end up working with children or the geriatric population, or if I can somehow stay in the athletic realm, um, it, it, it's just, I feel like it's my calling. It's kind of my destiny, which I really like about CE3. We can reach these girls from a young age. And like everybody has been saying, we get to give them the tools that they don't know that they may need for let's say the recruiting process or whenever, or what to expect when you get to college. Um, because I know for me growing up, I committed at a pretty young age and I know they changed recruiting rules, but um, if I knew then what I knew now, I don't, maybe, maybe my outcomes would have been different um, with how I went about my recruiting process. So we just get to give those experiences to younger girls. That's so true what you said. And that's one of the things that keeps me up at night is that people don't know what they don't know. Um, and that's so true for our young people today. And they need someone who knows a little bit of something, uh, usually somewhere along their age range that have been through some of the things that they may be, may be experiencing to help guide them along their path to success. Do you think, Kiana, you've always, I know you, you love and enjoy sports, but did you always know you weren't probably gonna play sports professionally and you wanted to go more the route you're going now? Or was there something that happened, and it might've been because of your nephew, is there something that happened that made you steer more into that direction? Um. I always knew that I wanted to go into healthcare professions. Um, I didn't necessarily, I, I mean, I did, if I had the chance to, you know, be on the national team and possibly go to the Olympics and play professionally and get drafted and things like that, I definitely would have taken it. Um, but the unfortunate truth about, you know, women's sports, it's, it's not as, you know, well-known or it's not as invested in as male sports. So I feel like for women, it's, it's especially important that you get your education because we don't necessarily get paid to, we don't get paid a lot to go and play sports that we love um, just because we love it and we're good at what we do. We also need something on the back end and that, that happens to be our education. Uh, Kirsten, talk to me about going to school and getting your psychology degree. That's so needed in just school systems, period. I mean, counselors, we don't have a lot of those in our school systems. We have a few, but they have, you know, several hundred students. And they, see, I remember when I was going to high school myself, I think I saw my counselor twice. Um, and the only time I saw her one-on-one -on -one was when I was getting ready to graduate high school. And she was just making sure that I had plans post graduation, whether that be going into the workforce or going to college. So tell me about your pursuit of psychology. Yeah, so I typically, well, I really want to dive into marriage and family therapy because I personally have seen how strong it is to, to have both parents in a household and how that really affects a child. Um, so I really want to go into that and especially working with minorities and really focusing in on that and being like one who is of the same, who can really speak to uh, people of 
uh, different racial backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. So I really want to dive into that and just really focus on the household because that is the starting point for growth and really just like instilling these values that all of us have as far as pursuing education and things like that. So I really just want to be that person to speak to other individuals and just really focusing on how to foster a healthy relationship within the home in order to help these young um, individuals flourish in their next steps of life. People underestimate the importance of parenting and having a two-parent household. So many people in the minority population, especially black, you know, I, I came up myself without a father for most of my childhood. And that really plays a role. You know, single parents do the best that they can, but there are just certain things you can't get from either just a mom or just a dad. And you miss out on that and you truly suffer from it uh, for the rest of your life. Uh, it's so important to, I think, in today's time, young people think of marriage as something that you just kind of do as, as far as dating. You can get married, and then if it doesn't work out, well, then I'm, I'm, I'm jumping ship, and I'll just try this thing again with kids. And then, you know, you're sacrificing the kids in that situation. You don't really lose anything yourself. I think the kids are the ones that suffer the most, and they will continue to suffer. And what we're seeing today are those kids whose parents, didn't work out or they were born out of wedlock or they treated the marriage like dating. They weren't committed and serious in it. And now these kids are, are looking at marriage and saying, either I don't want to get married ever, or I'm just going to wait until I'm 50, you know, to get married. And, and that's when I want to settle down, so to speak. So marriage and family counseling is so crucial and important in today's society, especially in the minority community. Let's talk a little bit about, let's go to Annie. Annie talked about playing uh, for the, the, was it the Olympics, Annie? So we weren't in the Olympics at the time, but I played on the USA women's national team and we just yeah. did like fishing games and some tournaments and stuff like that. So what was it like meeting people kind of just from everywhere? It was really interesting. Every place and tournament that we went to we always got to kind of interact with the other teams we got to do I think it was um uh one of the teams they do the haka I'm sorry I don't know what <laughs> but it was really cool because we got to see them do their performance what they would do before games and I guess it's like a tradition where they used to do it before battle and we got to sit there and kind of observe their culture and their tradition and Everywhere we went, we always got to speak to the other teams. We got to speak to their translator. We would share like, pins, kind of like what you would do when you were younger when you'd go to tournaments. And it was just a cool experience because you got to see how they respected the game and how they played the game because a lot of countries do things differently. Japan mm -hmm. is very organized. They, are, they do not mess around. Everything is to a T, and they are like little robots. And they're amazing. Yeah. Phenomenal athletes. And then there's like America, we're dancing on the sidelines and we're having fun and the Japanese are like bowing and being so respectful and amazing and we're like dancing. And it's just cool to kind of see the two cultures come together on the same field. Isn't that the beauty of diversity, being able to witness other people's cultures and appreciate them? It's not about, you know, believing necessarily what they believe, but, you know, respecting what they do and a showing appreciation for it and just gathering people of, of different cultures and nationalities and races together is just always a beautiful thing and beautiful things happen from that. Let's yeah. talk about that a little bit because we have a lot of things going on and any of you can chime in. I don't want to just throw any on the spot, but <laughs> you kind of, you kind of brought it up here. Wow. Um, so I'm giving you some phone calls there, Annie, if you got to call a, call a friend <laughs> in for this, right? So let's talk, let's stay on that just for a second. You hear a lot of people today in America, I don't think I hear this anywhere else, they say, I don't see color. And to me, that's a little bit of an issue because color exists. That's something that you can't take away. And even if you don't see color, you still see black and white if you're colorblind, right? So you still see some resemblance of color. And I think that in America today, we have to begin to, like you just said, appreciate and respect the culture and the way other people do things because it is different. I'm reminded, and it's a bit harsh, but I remember sitting in my history class 
And when they talk about the Indians and the Trail of Tears, and they had this campaign, if you remember it, it said, I'm not a historian, so if I get it wrong, I'm sorry. But it said something like, uh, uh, kill the Indian, save the man, right? Mm -hmm. Every time I hear somebody say, I don't see color, that is what I think about. Because I think about what they're really saying is, I don't want to see you for you. I want you to be and think and do just like me. So I want to kill who you are culturally, racially, everything that makes you up. And I want you to do things in the way that I'm comfortable with and that I think you should do them. I want you to have my opinions. I want you to have my look. I want you to dress the way I dress. And, you know, you just talked about how beautiful it is to see, you know, Japan. And I, I've been to Japan. They are very strict. I mean, like Asian countries for sure are just very disciplined in, in sorts. Americans look kind of lazy and just undisciplined and all over the place. But that's okay. That, 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 that's, I guess. But you go to other countries and they're so different. But we respect other countries. Why can't we respect each other here? You know, what are some of you guys' thoughts on that? Um, That's I, kind I of a loaded question. Here. I'm sorry. I guess I'll start here. So I grew up in a household. My mother is white and black. And my, my father is black. And so my mom, her views on race are completely different than my dad. So I grew up around my mom's family. It was, um, there's a lot of, her her mother's brother married a hispanic and so my family on that side is like white black hispanic so when i'm around that that side of the family everybody is they're saying i don't see color we don't see color we love each other for everybody but when growing up i just thought okay like we don't talk about we we got in trouble for saying like calling somebody a black person or calling them a white person or calling somebody hispanic it's like why they're human but then on the other side my dad's family he's black and um, it was more so like, no, that person's black, that person's white. So growing up, I was a little confused. Um, as I got older, I kind of think that same thing with you. You have to be able to see the person for who they are. Um, me being black and I guess in, interracial, biracial, I wouldn't say biracial because I'm not 50-50, but having so many different races in my family um, I think it's important to understand who I am as a person being having a, you know, partially white part of me that that makes me who I am having a black side of me that makes me who I am as well. And I'm able to embrace both of them. I'm not embarrassed of either side. I'm not embarrassed of my ancestors. That's who who I am. And, and the reason I had I mean, I'm even here is because of my ancestors. So I think for me, um, I think it's, it's understanding and kind of um, bringing to terms that yes, we have to see everybody for who they are and see them differently. Our differences are what makes us beautiful. Absolutely. You know, I have a uh, kind of going off of what you talked about and your family, just seeing the different views from each. You know, I have kind of a mixed family and people ask me, you know, what are you? Um, I don't know. I'm a little bit of, of everything, a little touch. I kind of have a worldly look, I say, I went to Cuba a year or two ago and, you know, people there thought I was Cuban. So when I got back into the States, I tell everybody, you know, we are safe from terrorism and, and things of that nature. America is safe. Every time I've, I've ever gone out of the country, it is so difficult for me to get back in because I don't look what you think of as American. Um, I got detained in Homeland Security for like two hours just with a passport, license, birth certificate, social security card. You know, they were telling me, well, you can make all that stuff up. I mean, giving them my home addresses for like the past five years, it's insane what you have to do because of what you look like, right? Um, so I can definitely uh, see where you're coming from. I think Kiani had something to say. I saw your, your speaker come on. <laughs> um, just just attack on that. I remember seeing um, just pictures of protesters with different signs and stuff. And I, saw, and I saw a sign that says, if you can't see color, then you can't see patterns. And I thought that was so profound wow. because, yeah, exactly. Um, because I, I too, well, I'm biracial. My dad is black. My mom is from Guam, so I'm half Pacific Islander. Um, and but, but it was it was confusing growing up because you know both of my parents grew up, you know, not not very well off, but they made something of themselves. So I was fortunate enough to not have to go through what they went through as children. I grew up in a in a predominantly white small town. And a large majority of all the people I went to school with are white, and I also live in South Texas. So a pretty good, you know, a percentage of my classmates were Hispanic as well, but I could count on 
maybe two hands how many black kids were in the school. And um, it's interesting how people say they don't see color, but I know myself growing up, I, the, one, the one comment I heard the most was, but you don't talk black, you speak white. Mm-hmm. And that was so confusing growing up because I never understood what constituted speaking like a white person. And my mom had to tell me, she had to teach me that I don't speak like a certain race. I speak properly because that's how my parents both speak. And I, you know, I speak very grammatically correct and and things of that nature. Um, So I I definitely had to understand that it is important to see color, but we, we need to see color. But if somebody decides to see your skin color, but use those negative stereotypes and put those on you, that is not the problem of the person that that or it's not your problem it's their issue that they're seeing that color and their idea of that color is associated with all these you know negative stereotypes like black people aren't educated or they're lazy or they all speak with certain slang or whatever and things like that so i i think we need to or people need to be able to differentiate between seeing someone's color and seeing someone's color and then tacking those those societal stereotypes on them Yeah, I kind of just wanted to go off of Kiani. I'm also multiracial. My mother's white and Cuban and my father's African-American. Um, so growing up, there was this big struggle between in-group, out-group, like whether I was too white to fit in with the black kids or too black to fit in with the white kids. And, you know, you have that a lot. And you have these groups that we decide that you're either Republican or Democrat or you're white or you're not or all these different things. And like we need to have a flexible thinking and break out of those in order to truly see people who they are for who they are and not like I don't see color meaning I don't see you um, and we need to find like this barrier break the barrier and find a way to in- integrate like our different interests in a way to not only be stuck to these in group and out groups and have to stick to that one way like if I associate with this one group I have to think the exact same way and that's often how it is. And instead, we rather need to say, okay, like, I agree with this part of it. And yes, I do see myself as part of this group, but I disagree with certain things and be able to be flexible in our thinking and not be so stuck in certain terms of what group we identify with. That's so true. You know, people, especially in school, when you think about it, if we think back when we were in middle school or even like ninth and 10th grade, kids are some of the hardest, most harsh people on the planet. I mean, they say what they think, they say how they feel, and they, I mean, school really, the the kids in school, so not school itself, but the kids in school, they really push you. They make you choose a side, like there's a side you just have to be on. And for people who are biracial or, or mixed in any form or fashion, or even a black kid that desires to be academically successful and, and wants to, you know, become a scientist of some, of some sort. Um, it's like you have to then denounce being black and become a white kid and hang out with that crowd, but then you're not accepted in that crowd because now you feel uncomfortable because you don't look like those people. It's easy for them to say they don't see color, but you definitely see it because you can see yourself in the mirror and you're just different. I mean, there's no way around it. And I remember being young, kind of put, well, you talk white or you walk white and you dress white. Why don't you do it this way? You know, really, I don't want to be white. I just want to be a black successful person. I want to be me. And, and that's it. And kids are bullied in that way. It's, it's, there's more bullying in that way than there is, I think, with fighting in other ways. It's pushing these kids to be something and then they're uncomfortable with what you push them with. So they grow up and they're still lost. I think there's people who are 30, 40 today who still don't really know who they are. Uh, because they've had to pick a side, and neither side wants them there. Uh, and that is so dangerous in our society today. We just have to let people be who they want to become. You're either a success or you're a failure. I think if you choose something, that's what you choose. And success looks different for everybody, but I think that's a personal thing that we have to come up with, and, and we have to be open individuals in the world, not even just this country, in our communities, be open to those things, but also stand up for people that we see get 
you know, emotion, we'll call it emotional bullying. Uh, they get emotional bullied. Um, those are, are really important things. Did you have anything to add, Annie? We kind of went around the world there on you. No, no, no. I was just sitting and listening to you guys because, I mean, I'm not black, as everybody can yeah. see here. So, <laughs> no, but I mean, I think it's definitely really important to hear what you guys are saying. I mean, especially what's going on in our country right now. I'm listening and I'm learning. And I felt so naive when I was young because, like I said, I'm from California. I'm from a good area, but, you know, a lot of my people, we weren't, I didn't live in a predominantly white area. I'm Italian. I'm actually Sicilian. So in the Italian culture, we're like the lowest of the low anyway. So, you know, sure. my grandparents, we aren't, I didn't really grow up in a very privileged area. I had a great life, but, you know, all of my friends were from El Salvador, Mexico. A lot of my friends were black. A lot of my friends were Filipino. So I grew up in a very diverse area. And then when I went to school at Tennessee, I was kind of like, what the heck? Like, you guys are <laughs> far back, dude. Like, you need to wake up. I don't even understand what you're saying right now. Yeah. And it's just great for me to sit back and listen to you guys speak because that I was so shocked when I first went to Tennessee. Like, not that I was blind to racism. I just never really saw it firsthand. Like, we were all inclusive. My family's inclusive. My friends are all mixed with five different things. Again, California, we got a little bit of everything out here. Yeah. So. yeah. When I went to the South, I was just like, you're really serious about like black and white and black and white don't go together. And I honestly, in college, I dated a black guy. We went out and we're getting stared at. People are coming up to me like, baby, does your mom know? And I'm like, my mom know what? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And I am so caught off guard. I mean, I was 18 in college. I had no yeah. idea. Like, what are you talking about? Does my mom know? Like, are your parents okay with you dating a black guy? Like, are your parents okay with you asking me that question? Are you serious right now? And for me, that was kind of my first taste of it, or just taste of what people could be like so I mean for you guys you guys have lived your whole life having to deal like these girls that keep talking like we don't talk white we talk proper and that was my first experience mm -hmm. in the south too I've heard that and everyone's like you talk this way you talk that way and then you go to the south and they all got a little bit of a draw to them so you're like how can you say so-and-so talks differently than them they just mm -hmm. talk like they're from Knoxville, Tennessee. Like, I just didn't really understand it. So it was good for me to kind of hear you guys and what you guys went through because I have no clue. <laughs> can I, can I go off that real fast? Absolutely. Go ahead. So um, I also went to a school in the South, Georgia, and I grew up in a diverse area. Houston is super, super diverse. Uh, Kirsten, we grew up kind of uh, close to each other, played softball against each other. Um, when I went to Georgia for the first time, that was my real, my actual first time dealing with people who did not grow up in a diverse area. Um, I said, um, I told them about there's a time when I walked into the locker room and that was my first time seeing a Confederate flag. And I was completely shook. I was like, oh my goodness. And there's just, there was just so many comments about um, how black people and white people, they don't, they don't mix. Um, that was that's huge black people don't understand white people white people don't understand black people and I'm like what are y'all doing here this doesn't make sense like we can all hang out like all my friend groups are different in high school and in middle school and so for me that was something I had to get used to too um, and then and then really just trying to open myself up to my teammates because a lot of the team my teammates were from Georgia and so they did have these um, views that I wasn't used to. And so I would sit there and I would have conversations with them. And the one thing I would always tell them is don't ever make a statement if you've never experienced it. Don't ever make a statement. If there's something that you may not understand, ask me a question. I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to get offended. Ask me a question and we can have this conversation safely. I won't judge you. I won't do anything, but let's have this conversation. And I've had, I've had several conversations with teammates and it, it is, it's very sad. Um, and like, it, sometimes it just brings me to tears thinking about some of the views that some of my other teammates used to have. 
um, and some of the views that their families had. I love my teammates to death, but it's just like, wow, I, I can't believe um, that because of the color of my skin, you look at me differently, or you look at my father differently, or you look at my family differently. And I think that is um, something that needs to change, definitely. Well, hopefully we can, even starting just from this conversation and as we have our own individual conversations with people, uh, be parts of that change and be change agents in our own communities. I think if we have enough people having these conversations in our communities, we can, in fact, ignite change. I, I talk to people a lot, you know, down here you talk about whites and blacks being uncomfortable having those conversations. The only time somebody's uncomfortable about having a conversation is when they feel like they have to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's the issue. You know, you just said they were talking about, you know, whites don't understand blacks and blacks don't understand whites. I think most people, you know, racism has gotten better, mm -hmm. but I think most people today maybe not be racist. I think a lot of people are just in the middle. Uh, they want equality and, and good stuff for everybody. They don't want any mm -hmm. one, particular race to dominate the other, but it's that, that lukewarm mentality of even when I see something wrong, I'm not going to say anything about it, that adds gasoline to the fire, that makes it okay for the things that are happening today to happen. It, it, it makes sure that racism and the segregation that we have today continue on from generation to generation by not speaking up. People think that by being silent, they're not adding to the issue or taking away from it but you're actually a component of the problem by not saying something. It's like seeing a kid get bullied and you never say anything to help that kid. Imagine if, you know, just one person stood up for a kid being bullied. Think about what that would do for that kid. They would then know that somebody has their back, that somebody's in their corner. Somebody cares. Somebody tried, somebody has shown empathy to their issue, but we allow kids to get bullied and they end up having mental health issues. You know, thank goodness Kirsten's going into psychology because it's needed. I mean, kids are growing up with so many issues and problems that we just pop pills today and think that's going to fix everything. Again, we put band-aids on our issues and we need to fix the reason we need the band-aid in the first place. And that's with everything, racism in America, mental health issues, bullying in schools. It all boils down to this how you're mentored and taught, and if you have the opportunity to get mentorship. That's why it's so important for what you guys are doing with CE3 Performance Academy. You're helping athletes, but at the same time, you're helping them figure out life. You're helping them figure out what they want to become. You're helping them find what success means for them. You're giving them a community that they can take part in and hopefully do that for somebody else, bring somebody else into that community. I think we're still tribal people at the end of the day. You know, we're modern. It's 2020. That's great. But to the root of us, I think we're still very tribal in that we seek community. We seek relationships. Uh, we seek belonging. Uh, we seek just feeling a part of something, a family, whether that be blood or friends or whatever that may be, making sure your environment is positive and takes you somewhere uh, positive is important. Let's switch gears just a little bit here and go back to the education uh, part. And let's talk about self-education versus formal education. There's a lot of debate about that, about, you know, should I just self-educate? Is there a need for college? Um, and, and really, people are trying to find their lane and figuring out what they need to do. What do you guys think about that, self-education versus formal education? Um, <laughs> um, I've actually realized through, through everything that's going on, just how much self-education or just how far self-education can take you on certain issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, because growing up, you don't, you don't learn about black history, for example, in school, you learn about what they want you to learn and what's going to be on the test. So I know, um, and I grew up around my mom's side of the family. I did not grow up around my dad's side very much. Um, so I feel like pretty recently I've learned so much more about black history by doing research, but I feel like we have to find that balance in finding credible sources because oftentimes people just 
watch one one news channel or they only go on Facebook or they they find stuff on Wikipedia where you can literally edit any single article and put whatever you feel like on it and they think they know everything about it um, but I also feel that formal education is so important and I know for me in particular because I want to go into healthcare um, I had to take a research class where I had to learn how to find credible sources just, I mean, for anything, there's certain search engines in which they're, I mean, they're completely free. They're like Google. You just have to know where to look. But I found that out through formal education. I was able to understand um, the importance of actually doing research rather than just Googling it and finding my first article and saying, now I'm um, an expert on all things this or all things that. We might do a separate podcast on just how to find credible sources. <laughs> That's so important. I, I want to also add on to that. I think, like Kiani said, we need to have a mix. I think self-education is good, but I think formal education is also good. I think we need to change some of the formal education. I think some of the important things like financial literacy is super, super important. That's something that I wasn't taught. Um, growing up, I was taught credit cards are bad. And then I get to college and it's like, okay, well, you need credit well, what is credit? How do I even get it? How do I build my credit? Um, what are things that hurt my credit? How do I pay bills? That like, that never, mm -hmm. you know, I never was taught that. And then didn't learn about mortgages, how to get mortgages. How does the money work? I, ne I, I never learned about any of that until after college. And so I think um, adding different things that'll help, um, help or enhance our, our life skills that we'll actually use. Yes, math is good. Yes, science is good. But I think it needs to be a little bit more focused on things that we can actually take um, with us and teach our families and teach future generations. Um, and I mean, that's how we build uh, or create better generations and better, um, just better people all around, I think. Absolutely. I agree with talking about money and kind of placing more useful tools for kids. I mean, in school too, but especially in college, like I said, I went to Berkeley and Berkeley's a research institute. And I feel so blessed to have graduated from there because I learned so many amazing things. And a program that we actually had was you could, I don't know if you had to pay for it or you had to sign up, but people who did not attend the university could ask to sit in on classes. And a lot of um, professors at UC Berkeley are very, very well known. They're all doctors. They all write their own textbooks. I mean, we've had amazing professors at Berkeley. And I had in almost every single one of my classes, I had people who would go just sit in the class because they wanted to learn something. And I was an African American studies major. So all of our people who came in there were so interested because again, you don't learn about <laughs> any history. You don't, hear, you don't hear about the right history. And even when I went to Berkeley, I was completely shocked at everything we learned because I used to love history, favorite subject, thought I was going to be a history teacher. I'd go to Berkeley and they just blow your mind with everything <laughs> you never learned. And I was like, oh my God, I love it even more. Like, I just think, like Courtney said, we need to do a better job. And, we, and like Kiani said, we need to do a better job of just telling people our history, our truth, everything, exposing it telling the good, bad, and the ugly, and I'm sorry, I'm super liberal, obviously Berkeley's super liberal, but, you know, getting that aspect from these people, it's just like, what are they teaching you in eighth grade U.S. history? Because that was not on the test. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. crazy. Yeah, kind of piggybacking off of Annie, I've been thinking about it a lot just in this past month or so. I've been taking a learning theories class and just really thinking about our educational systems and, like, what we can do in order to help the current climate and just like thinking about how we can implement more diversity sessions and diversity curriculum within our educational system. I think that's a starting point for us as far as learning about the actual history in our country and not just, you know, what they kind of want us to know and diving a little bit deeper into that um, across the board. I think that's super important. And then going back to the original question, I think formal education is foundational but self-teaching and self-learning is where you're going to expand and really dive into what speaks to you and what you really feel like seeking as far as how you can give back to the next generation and how you can explore and expand more on your own personal knowledge. Um, I think that's really 
where I learned that I wanted to focus on minorities and give back as far as diving into the families and homes because I've seen firsthand how important that is. Um, and so that's where I got outside of formal education and just learning all these different things, especially now you have Netflix, you have all these mm -hmm. different things that is giving you that extra education on top of the formal education that you're getting within your school system. And a I lot of it is, is actually showing you the truth. Yeah, what's that, Kiani? Oh, sorry, I just wanted to add like one more thing. Do your um, thing. About the importance of, of self-education. Um, and, I, and I think the balance between self-education and a formal education is I think, especially in, in UNC, it's, it's a liberal, liberal arts school as well. We had to take all these philosophy and history classes and things like that. And, you know, when I transferred, I was like, well, I just want to play softball and then I want to graduate. And then like all these like six extra random classes that I at the time were like, well, I'm never going to use this as an OT. But it really teaches you how to think for yourself. And I think, especially with the younger generations now, it's very much like, well, just tell me what I need to do. And I think it's important to learn how to critically think and how to find these resources on your own, um, in addition to being taught, you know, key aspects depending on what you want to go into. But um, I, I think it's really important to allow yourself to go out on your own and educate yourself on certain topics and find the credible resources so you can become more empowered to then teach others instead of everyone just telling you the answers. I think we have to go out and find it for ourselves and determine what's credible versus what isn't. You almost made me fall out of my seat. That is so true right there. You know, I think schools today teach so many of our young people what to think and not how to think. You know, call it brainwashing, call it what you may, but that's essentially what it is. We are, our, our minds are just so closed that we don't want to seek the truth because we think we're spoon fed the truth. And we're always looking for someone to tell us what to do, to tell us what to think. You know, what should we do about systemic racism? What should we do about the conversations today? And that's why so many mouths are closed. And we don't want to have those conversations because no one's putting any thought into the solution. And even the way we throw our money, we donate the causes that amplify the problem instead of donating our money and funds to the solution. You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg a couple of years ago donated all these millions of dollars to the school system somewhere up north, and it did nothing. I mean, they, they looked at what happened with the money. It was millions of dollars, and it literally probably made the school worse because we dump money and we dump this stuff on problems instead of the solution. You know, it's about having a plan. I'm all with, you know, protesting and, and peaceful protesting. But I think what we've forgotten is what is the purpose of the protest? Do you go out and protest to show face and then go back home? Or are you protesting to get a meeting because you have a plan to get something done? You know, do you show up with 100 people outside of the White House saying, we're going to sit here until we speak to the president or to the mayor or to the representative or to Congress, whoever it may be. We're going to sit here until someone is willing to hear us out and to review and discuss our plan. I think that's what we have forgotten as young people. And it goes back to what you just said. We're taught what to think. And we're not taught how to critically think and to come up with our own solutions. Because every solution it may be different for, from community to community, from school to school, from household to household. It's up to us as individuals to, yes, we can get ideas from other people, but we have to critically think for ourselves to do what's best for us. Uh, as we uh, begin to kind of wrap up here a little bit, you know, what's one or two things that you would tell a young person that may be in high school or college right now that, you know, maybe they're going through some challenging things or they're watching these things on the news today and they really don't know how to dissect it or to even understand it right now. Um, because it, it's just crazy. Most people don't think, you know, they wake up and say, I want to be a racist or I want to be, I want to do racist things. I want to do things that offend people or I want to say something that offends somebody today. I'm naive and optimistic that, you know, hopefully most people don't wake up in that fashion. So what do you tell someone that may be in that middle that is, is afraid or don't know what to say or what to do right now in these current situations? 
I think the first thing is just to educate yourself, reach out, expand, explore, and really understand what it is that you want to do in order to help because systemic racism goes deeper than just as people are protesting right now, police brutality, but it also goes further than that. So it's like start somewhere rather than trying to pose a overall solution. So if you just take a slice off of one of the issues and you really dive into that, that's where you're really going to see change. If each person focuses on one little avenue versus trying to resolve the entire issue as a whole is where we're really going to see that effect and that change. And most of the time it starts with conversations like Courtney has said, when she was in college, she was just having conversations with people who were close to her or teammates, people who she could really reach and teach. Um, I think that's where you're going to start is understanding that it is a complex issue and rather taking a step in the stand um, to initially start somewhere rather than staying silent and not starting at all. I agree with that on so many levels, just educating yourself and kind of beginning to understand. Like I said, I was so naive my whole life. And then when I got things thrown in my face, I, I had to learn everything. I had to figure it out. But I think another thing that I would tell somebody if they were confused is just to think about love. And I say this so many times because I'm surrounded by a lot of Christians and a lot of different people around me and a lot of things that are going on right now in this country, there are a lot of Christians who are kind of on the other side of things, meaning they're not anti-racist. And I want to just tell people what, like love, how do you love? You love unconditionally, you love to understand, and it doesn't matter who or what it is, but you need to love. And if you love, you'll be more willing to understand people. I mean, Courtney's teammates, they loved Courtney, they respected Courtney, they played with her, they grinded with her. So they had that love base to kind of want to ask questions and to understand. If you just are full of hate, you're not going to care to understand. You're not going to care to ask questions or dive deeper. Like Kristen was saying, there's so many complex issues that go back way deeper than just police brutality. But if you can't even find it in your heart to love, you're going to be less likely to want to understand. So I would just tell kids, love, think about what love means and how could you do that on so many different levels. Mm. that's good i think annie hit a huge nail on the head i um, saw your head explode over there yeah i was like <laughs> yes <laughs> um, what you said that really stuck out to me and which i always just think is uh whenever you know whenever i'm trying to i and i personally i try to educate people like on facebook because i know there's a lot of like i know on my, my facebook it's a lot of older adults like the parents of the kids that they want like me to teach or things like that um, that kind of population, and um, I mean, obviously, they they grew up in an earlier time than we did, and so that's I mean, as you said earlier, like racism, like it's bad, but it's not as bad as it probably was back then, or as it was back then, and they grew up kind of in that back then sort of uh, era, those decades. But um, whenever I'm trying to educate people, and I get this vibe that they are only letting me respond just so they can talk back. And I think mm -hmm. what you hit on the head, Annie, was that people have to figure out for themselves if they want to seek out the information to try to understand, or if they're just finding information so they can use it as a rebuttal, or if they can just use something that you say and just argue it. Like whenever someone sends you this long text message and you, re you respond to like the last sentence instead of, or because you want to argue. Um, I think people have to understand and figure out with themselves that they want to try to understand somebody else's point of view, especially if they are, you know, a non-person of color and they do want to truly be an ally. Um, we have to find, we have to seek out people that aren't like us. We have to deliberately find people that aren't in our inner circle, that maybe aren't in like our immediate hometown where everybody's views are the same or more or less the same. We have to go out to seek those people and we have to try to understand, not just let them talk so I can be like, well, you're wrong because of this. I would say, I think those are all really good things. Um, one thing I think is important to me is leadership. First, I would say educate yourself, um, understand what's going on. I think you need to understand both sides, not just one side, uh, see what people are saying and then form your own opinion. I think leadership is important because leader, you can be a leader no matter who you are. Um, leaders come in every shape, every size. 
And me and Keani, we actually did a segment on this, on leadership and communication and um, understanding who you are and how you lead. And so if you're that middle person and um, you're afraid to speak up, that's not you, then um, have conversations with people and just talk to them, have normal conversations. Or um, you don't have to post, just be silent and be there for somebody, text somebody and say, hey, I'm here for you. Um, how, what can I do to help? Um, there's, there's plenty of ways that you can um, contribute to the, the um, I guess, the progression um, in this era. So um, I, think, I think it's leadership. Find who you are and how you lead and um, follow that. Well, is there anything else anybody would like to leave us with? I'll leave us with a quick Bible verse. Um, give me a second so I can pull it up. But this is okay. actually um, what I read in my last segment. And I think that kind of, it kind of, hold on one second, let me pull it up. It um, kind of leaves us kind of with everything summed up. Give me a second. It's a long segment. <laughs> <laughs> One second. Let me just Google it. How about that? <laughs> I want to make sure I read it word for word. Kiani is just laughing at you right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have it. I promise you guys. Okay, here it is. Um, I'll just read the last line here. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to those uh, to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. So I think that kind of just goes along with um, love and loving mm -hmm. others and uh, not repaying uh, evil for evil, but love for evil. That's so key and so true. And what a way to, to end our chat tonight Tell us how we can find out more about CE3 Performance Academy. Yeah, sure. So we, um, you can actually visit www.ce3performanceacademy.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page and you can go on there um, and read more about our mentors. You can read about our individual accomplishments, our accolades, stuff we've accomplished. Um, you can also look at the girls and uh, what they've also accomplished within the academy and um, really just dive deeper. If you want more information, you can DM us. Any one of us would be happy to speak with you about uh, becoming a mentor for your child. Um, we, I mean, this is what we do day in and day out, whether it's NCE3 Performance Academy or if it's coaching individually. Thank you, ladies. Mission 3E Family Conversation Corner Podcast Family. If you did not get a nugget from Miss Kiani, Courtney, Annie, and Kirsten tonight, you need to re-listen to this thing because they dropped too many bars and nuggets tonight for you. Uh, this concludes our segment tonight. I'll see you on the other side. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. But I need you to do three very important things right now. Number one, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Number two, Share this episode with someone who would benefit from it. Number three, go to mission3e.com and make a charitable contribution to support what we do. And always remember, together, we can make the world a better place, one conversation at a time.